Let us pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You ever get that feeling somebody's trying to get rid of you? Um, I love... I love that the supermarket down here in Shawshine Square is open till 10 p.m. Sometimes we get ready to go to bed. We realize we have nothing for breakfast, nothing for the kids' lunches, and I've got to make a late-night run, which is great. But I get there, I'm shopping around, and they start turning off the lights in the coolers. So I can't even see this, what I'm trying to buy. Are you really open till 10? Because it says 10 on the door. But it seems that you do not want me here at 9.40 shopping for breakfast. Not the most welcoming feeling. Or I'm in a conversation with somebody and they say, hey, I know you're really busy. I don't want to take any more of your time. I'll let you go. And then I think, I, I initiated this conversation. <laughs> I called you. <laughs> take my time. Um, or maybe, you're, you, maybe, you're, you, maybe you try to get rid of someone and they're not picking up on the cues that you want to end the conversation or end the situation or whatever's going on. If you've experienced that, my dad was a master at ending a conversation. He had this way. He was a big, tall guy. But he had this way of, of walking backwards really slow. And you're talking, and he's nodding. He's with you. And, and he's just, fur, and then just turn and gone. <laughs> and you're still talking. And he's gone. Um, he was just, a, a, just like a master at that. Um, here we have Jesus teaching. Last week we talked how Jesus, he said, I am the bread of life. But Jesus went on, and this is what he said. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. And when Jesus taught that, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. This is hard to accept. This is even offensive. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, we, we understand when Jesus says these kind of things, we understand it you know, eucharistically. We understand you know, when Jesus instituted communion, he said, this bread is my body for you. you know, this, this cup is, is the blood of the covenant. Uh, for the forgiveness of sins, and of course Jesus dies on the cross. It all makes sense to us, but they don't have that kind of context. All they hear is that Jesus is saying, uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and this teaching is, is confusing to them and, uh, and offensive. And Jesus even says, hey, did, did I offend you? Did I just say something a little bit offensive? Because he did. Does it seem to you that sometimes Jesus is intentionally trying to confuse people? Or that he actually wants people to reject what he's teaching? That he's intentionally driving people away? It seems, it's, it's like it's its own genre of scripture in the Gospels. Like here's the passages where Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, and here's the passages where he's scaring people away. Jesus is scaring people off here. But Why? He's doing it because there, are, there is a type of follower that Jesus does not want. There's types of followers that Jesus doesn't want following him. And just 
what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 9. So uh, they're walking along the road. A man says to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. That seems like a really good person to have with you. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. You don't, I don't, he's saying, you know, I don't think you really want to follow me where I'm going. Again, Jesus said, to an, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Again and again. Jesus saying, I'm not sure you're really cut out for what, what this is about to be. Very famously, Jesus said in Luke 14, large crowds are traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a hard teaching. Because most people don't hate their children. They don't hate their families. Most people don't hate their own life. That... In, and here Jesus, and he teaches, you know, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and die. What Jesus is saying here in this passage, when he's telling these people, you know, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, as offensive as that sounded to them, what he's saying is you need to make me your all, your everything. That which you take in as your food and your drink gives you life. It sustains you. And Jesus said, that's me. I'm the one who will give you life and sustain you. I am your everything. And they say, this is, this is a hard teaching. It was hard for them, but this is a hard teaching for us too. And what happens is from that time on, verse 66 says, uh, from, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And to those who remained, Jesus turned to them and he said, what about you? He said, you don't want to leave too, do you? After hearing what I'm about to say in our message today, uh, if you come to really understand this teaching, you too might actually want to walk away. And then next week, maybe there's less people here. Not just because you didn't turn your clock backward or how we do that next week. Next week. But it's a hard teaching. Not hard to understand. It's just hard to accept. It's hard to live this. Um, but my hope is not that. My hope is that you might instead be inspired to be the kind of follower that Jesus desires. But let's look first at the kind of followers that Jesus does not want following him. The, uh, let me give you a few. These are all from uh, John chapter 6. Again, we are looking at it last week, and we're kind of finishing out this chapter this week. Uh, the first group is the crowds. In verse 2, it says that a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. So Jesus was not impressed that the crowds were following him. We shouldn't be impressed by crowds either. Um, and, and what Jesus does is he gives this hard teaching, and these crowds that were following, they start to kind of, one by one, they all kind of go away. And the question for us is, are we part of the crowd? If, if, if everyone around us, if the culture around us no longer walks with Jesus, are we willing to stay with Jesus no matter how much he offends the culture around us? Because it is easier to follow Jesus in a crowd. And I've experienced that. There were times in my uh, my, my life and my faith, uh, particularly, they were, they were um, environments that were very 
supportive of my Christian faith. For example, Christian summer camp. Loved Christian summer camp. But the whole system was built around following Jesus with other people and nurturing Christian faith. And then you, I would go home from camp and have this kind of spiritual crash because the world around me was not nearly as supportive of my Christian faith as in my teenage years. And, and I look at our world today, and culturally, I would say that it's harder to follow Jesus today than maybe in past generations. Our Christian faith is less popular. It's less widely embraced. It's less nurtured. It's somehow labeled as, at times as uh, out of touch and unlo- unenlightened and, and just... Um, and even harmful, some people would say. I, I actually don't mind the fact that our Christian faith is less popular today because I believe that the light shines in the darkness. Um, you know, the more and more that our culture become, around us becomes very secular. Although, I would also argue that the secular values that our culture holds are, have a, a rooting in Christian faith. The, the, Jesus is the root of those values too, but that aside... Um, the good news of Jesus really stands out in our secular culture because it's a message of people able to have peace with the God of the universe and peace with one another across things that otherwise would divide us. So in a divided world, Jesus brings a message that reconciles people across um, ethnic and racial differences, across differences of, of men and women, across socioeconomic differences, that, that, that we have a love that is based not because that we're so good or religious or perfect, but because God is good and it's a message of his grace. And that kind of a message of light shines in a dark world. And, and, and also when Jesus said, if you, you know, because of following me, if you are reviled, if you are hated by your world, because of me, that's actually a blessed state. Jesus called that blessed, Matthew chapter 5. Going along with the crowd you know, might make it easy to follow Jesus, but that's not the kind of follower that Jesus wants, who's just there when everything around it supports it. The second kind of, of uh, follower that we see here that Jesus does not want, uh, we see in verse 15 of chapter 6, it says, Jesus knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus runs away from these folks. These are the people who are looking to Jesus to fulfill their political desires. In Jesus' day, people were looking for someone to come. So this is the Jewish people were living under Roman rule. So they were an occupied people and they lived under Roman taxes and Roman law and it was oppressive and they were not free people. And the hope was that God would send a savior who would come and overthrow the oppressor. They would overthrow Rome. And they see Jesus, they see the miracles, they say, this is our guy, he's going to be our king. He's the one who's going to do this. And Jesus wants nothing to do with those kind of followers because he came and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Our world, the culture we live in today, is so political and so partisan that people often will put their ultimate hope in the political powers around to somehow try to fix our broken world, to make life better and to make life good. And those ideals get elevated so high, they get elevated beyond where, where Jesus belongs to be elevated. Uh, the problem with that is that it, 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 people try to insert Jesus into their political ideas, and the problem is he's not going to fit there. It's not going to work. We actually need to... Uh, seek Jesus and 
conform and the way, again, we should be active, you know, however you choose to be active politically in our world, informed, yes, by your faith, but you can't cram Jesus into our partisan political categories. Um, And quite honestly, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, it flourishes in all kinds of governments around this world. There's dictatorships and there's communist countries where Christians are, where the gospel is going forward. And the, the gospel doesn't require a free uh, democratic society to advance. As if we could create the right political environment and the right types of freedoms, and then the gospel will go forth from there. It's actually the gospel goes into places and brings about a way of life and freedom that flows from the gospel, not the other way around, but we get it so backwards. Now, of course, I love our, the freedoms that we have. I love that we can proclaim, that I can stand here publicly and invite anybody into this room and proclaim the truth of Jesus to them. But you know what you get when, with all that freedom? You get a lot of complacency. You get a lot of people who just, just don't care. And yet, all over the world, the good news is spreading in all different kinds of settings and all kinds of in safe places and dangerous places and um, you can't cram Jesus into your political categories. It's not the kind of follower Jesus wants. The third type of follower we see, uh, we see in verse 26, these are the, the followers who are just following because of the miracles. We looked at this last week. Jesus answered in verse 26, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the sign I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus said, you're following me because I, I did a miracle and I gave you something. And uh, Jesus, Jesus said, hey, don't, don't pursue food that spoils, but pursue you know, real food that endures to eternal life. You know, th- these are the followers who follow Jesus because I'll, I'll, I'll give a little or I'll, I'll pursue this as long as I get something out of it, the thing that I'm looking for, that material blessing. You know, for them it was you know, food, but is it, is it, what am I looking for? I'm looking for some kind of blessing in my life, whether it's success or whether it's a healed relationship or physical healing or whatever the thing I'm looking for. I'm going to follow Jesus because I might get that thing back. You know, what's in it for me? And I'll follow Jesus as long as I'm getting a little bit of that blessing back. The problem with that type of following is that your desires set the terms for the relationship with God. That's not the type of follower Jesus is looking for. Jesus is saying, I'm not just here to offer you miracle. I'm here to offer you myself. That I will be your all. That I will be your source. And um, are, are you okay with that? Are you good with that? that? That even if I didn't alleviate your suffering in the here and now, that you are ultimately saved and secure in me. Or to put it another way, we need to realize that we're that. We need to realize, I'm not just a beggar who needs a blessing. I'm a sinner who needs salvation. And so, But so often we go to Jesus just because we have a need. I need the healing. I need the, the material blessing. And in, in Christ, he's calling people to abandon their self-will, those desires. And again, we, we experience, as we follow Christ, we experience beautiful healing and beautiful blessing in life, but are we willing to suffer and follow? Jesus said, this isn't on your terms, it's on my terms. The fourth type of follower that Jesus doesn't want, we see here in verse 28, this is just the religious people. Jesus was always at odds with the religious people. 
Uh, Verse 28, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus, just tell us what we need to do and we will do our religious duty and God will somehow accept or bless or whatever it is. This is a very self-righteous attitude. It's a very self-reliant attitude. Do you really think that by just doing the right thing, you can appease a holy and infinite God and he's going to be so impressed with you and think you're so great? Do you really think you can live up to his standards? What Jesus wants people to know is you, you're not self-reliant, self-righteous. You are a desperate people who need my grace. And again, Scripture teaches that we are saved by the grace of God so that nobody can boast. Nobody can say, hey, I've done it. I did my duty before God, and I achieved it, and, and I'm in. And Jesus said, I cannot take a follower like that. Jesus said, it's not the... It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If you think you're so healthy, you're in a very bad place because I can't help you. Jesus said it's the people who realize that they're desperate, that they're sick, that they're sinful, who are in a place to receive the grace of God. That's why Jesus said, look, he said to the religious leaders, he said, see these prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners? They're getting into my kingdom. They're getting into the kingdom of God ahead of you. That was extremely offensive. Religious people were completely offended by it. He would just drive them away and drive them away do you think you're so good to get in? Because these people realize they're not, and they're, they're the first at the door. Because Jesus' kingdom operates on grace. I mean, just that conversation with Nicodemus that we looked at a few weeks ago. Nicodemus, a leader, a religious person, a very, a very moral person. Jesus said, you have to be completely born again to see the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God. All these different types of people who Jesus does not, he, these are the kind of followers he does not want. These are, he's offending these people left and right, and they're falling off. What they all have in common is there's just something they want to hold on to, whether it's their self-righteousness, whether it was the, the thing they want, whether they're just not giving themselves fully to Jesus. And Jesus says, you've got to let all those things go. You have to die to yourself and make me your all. And They understood that. That's why they said, this is a hard teaching. It was a hard teaching for them, and it's a hard teaching for us. And I would argue that it's a particularly hard teaching in the world that we live in, in the culture that we live in. Today we live in what's uh, sometimes called the age of authenticity, or that people people live uh, with what's sometimes called expressive individualism. And what I mean by that is that uh, many people uh, reject God and and reject what is transcendent, and they they have to make meaning in life some other way apart from God. So the way to make meaning is to be your most authentic you, Um, to, to be authentic to yourself, expressing how you feel. So everybody's on a journey to make meaning in their life, and so I need to be loyal to what speaks to me, what moves me, what helps me to be the most meatiest me that I can me. And you, express, you, you have this uh, expressive individuality is how we would describe how you live that out. Now, there's some very extreme forms of that where people express their individuality in ways that are just strange to us. And we can look at that and say, well, that's not a good way of life, or that's strange, or we could even laugh at it or make fun of it. 
at these extreme forms of self-expression in our world. But I would say it's, it's not just the extreme versions of it, that this type of expressive individuality is we're, because we're so immersed in this culture that it, it impacts all of us, even people who live it out in more sort of conventional or traditional ways. And it's seen in our world. It is seen as a fundamental human right for you to express yourself, uh, to, you know, your best perceived sense of yourself and living that out is such a high value in our culture. It is hard not to live in the age of authenticity because it's such a dominant worldview. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Instead of following your feelings and desires, Scripture says we cannot trust those things in our broken and sinful state, that we cannot uh, let those things drive us. But our culture says it's the most important thing to follow your feelings and desires. 1 John chapter 2 says this, 1 John 2.16, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, my physical desires, including my sexual desires, the lust of my eyes, the, you know, the things that I want, the things that I desire in this world, and the pride of life, the things I want to accomplish and that I see as successful, Scripture says that it does not come from the Father, that comes from the world. And it says, 1 John 2.17, the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That we can't trust those innate desires that we need those things are going to die away, but as we trust the Lord, we will live forever. So what kind of follower is Jesus looking for? So this brings us to the big question. So there's all these followers, they start, Jesus gives this very hard and offensive teaching, and they start drifting away one by one, and Jesus turns to his 12 core disciples, and he turns to them and he asks this question, are you going to leave too? And this is the kind of follower, this is the kind of disciple that, that Jesus wants. Peter's response in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's two parts of this response. Jesus said, Hey, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, Where are we going to go? We don't have anything else. We've, we've left everything behind. We're at the end of ourselves. If I had a plan, if I had another plan, Jesus, maybe I could go with it. I have no other plan. You are it. That is, the, that is the kind of follower that Jesus is looking for, where you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and follow Jesus. And you say, I have no alternative to Jesus. I don't know how I would live life apart from Jesus. This Jesus is my life. This is, he's given me new life, and he's given me this rebirth, and he's forgiven my sins. My life is in him. And again, culturally, hey, we're New Englanders, right? So what's our motto? It's, it's a, our motto is, I got this. Do you need help carrying that? I got this. Do you need help? Oh, I got this. But in Jesus, the starting point is, I don't got this. I can't, I'm at the end of myself. Jesus, I have nowhere else to turn. The, the second aspect of this response is where he says, 
We, so I have nothing else, Jesus, but you have the words of eternal life. You're the Holy One of God. That if I'm going to find it, it's in you. This eternal life, the spiritual life, Jesus' words are spirit and life. There is no other way, there is no other name under heaven and earth by which, it's, by which we can be saved. We say, I am a sinner. I can't just follow my own feelings and desires. I need the life that only Jesus can bring. I, I remember my dad, before he died, he was very sick at one point. I actually thought he, he, he was near death and was having a conversation. I thought it might be one of our last conversations. And I said, Dad, you know, Dad, are you at peace with God? And he said, yes, son, I'm at peace with God. And I wasn't sure. Because he's a hearty New Englander, too. He's a, I got this. And I'm like, I wonder if he has some other plan, you know. So I said, Dad, do you have any hope besides Jesus? And he said, no. I have no other hope besides Jesus. And I was comforted by that. And I hear the words of, of Peter here. This is the kind of follower Jesus wants. I have nowhere else to go. I'm at the end of myself. And so I have no other plan but Jesus. And you, Jesus, you have the words of life. You are the Holy One of God. True, abundant, and eternal life is in you alone. So here's my question for you. And this is, this is Jesus' question to his disciples. This is Jesus' question to you, really. The question is this. Are you going to go away too? Are you in or are you out? Do you understand that Jesus is calling you to make him Lord of your life, of every area of your life? Because Jesus wants people in or out. And it's funny that actually non-believers probably get this better than the halfway believer. Because a non-believer will say, you believe that God came to this earth and died and rose again and you know, established this kingdom? And I don't believe that. Because if they did believe it, you'd have to submit to it. You would have to, it would, it would just totally, you would have no other option at that point. So people who reject it, they, I think they probably understand this better than the halfway. That, um, it's the in-between people that Jesus is saying, hey, are you going to fall away too? Um, one of the saddest passages in Scripture is Matthew chapter 7. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, very famous teaching of Jesus. And at the end, Jesus said, that on the last day, there's going to be people who go to him and say, Lord, Lord, and, he's, and he says to them, I never knew you. I don't know you. Th- their hearts weren't with Jesus. And this is a, it's a sad statement, and it's a warning statement. that You can go to church, you can be a moral person, you can do good things and still miss the point, and that's kind of scary, and it's sad. You know, people who believe in Jesus in kind of a, a general sense, but maybe they're just looking for you know, the blessing or they're looking for it to fit the, the way they already view the world. And he says, I want to be the Lord of your life. You're going to make me your food and your drink, and it will give you true life. But Jesus desires to be Lord of every area of our lives. And then you say, whoa, won't that turn me into kind of a religious fanatic? Isn't that what you're talking about? You know, the kind of... I see religious fanatics who are willing to kill other people and do all these crazy things. Is that, you know, in the name of their so-called God, that kind of um, commitment and relinquishment of life to your God is, seems kind of fanatical. Yeah, it is. Um, but if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if he's the Lord of your life, 
I'm not sure that makes you a fanatic. It makes you a child of God. It makes you a true disciple. Following the way of our Savior, loving as he loved us perfectly, motivated by the grace that we've received from God to bring the good news of him to our world, to be a peacemaker, to, be, um, to humbly bring this same thing to our world, to die to yourself and to make him the Lord of your life. That's what this is about. Let us pray. Father God, this is a hard teaching. That's what your disciples say, and that's what I say. This is a hard teaching. And Lord, I pray for those who um, have not made you Lord, and I pray that even now you would stir in hearts to, to call people, to give people faith, to trust you fully, to lay aside desires and feelings and our own agenda, to seek you and your kingdom first. But Lord, I pray for myself too, that your grace would do your work on my heart, Lord. Help me to die to my own desires that don't align with yours. Help me to, to trust you in all things. Help me to make you my life, that I, might say, that I might say with Peter, Lord, I got nowhere else to go. I have nothing else but you. And in that place, Lord, I pray that we would see you do your beautiful work of bringing about the life that you came to bring. Be glorified in this today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.